Good morning. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 4, please, in your Bibles. We are going verse by verse through this book. And uh, we are now up to what is called the temptation of Jesus. Trust God to maybe teach us some new things this morning. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay, before we get into the passage, just a word. When you read the scripture, one of the things you should do, particularly in the narratives, is, is try to put yourself at, in that time and realize uh, what was going on and, and the background behind it and so on. The reason I'm saying that in particular is because, as we say, hindsight is twenty twenty. We know what Jesus was doing and where he was going. He came to die for our sins. Praise God. The devil didn't know that, and we need to remember that. We read this thinking, oh, the devil knew everything that Jesus was up to. No, he didn't. God had veiled it in prophecy. And uh, it, there were prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories of the Messiah. And even the prophets, and it says later in Peter, the angels were confused. They didn't know exactly what the Messiah was going to do when he came. And so the devil didn't know. We need to understand that. We do. Now, and so we can read this with insight, but you need to remember the devil didn't understand this. In fact, he would have been, if you think about it, he would have had probably very similar thoughts to the Jews at that time. And that is that Jesus came to rule. Okay. 
He uh, certainly, knowing who Jesus was, by the way, he knew very well (laughs) that this is God, the son in the flesh. All right. Certainly he must have, okay, he's finally come to take the throne and rule. And so in his view, even though for some reason, and he doesn't know why, Jesus has remained, shall we say, incognito, you know, poor, obscure. It's just a matter of time before he comes out in the open and takes his rightful place as king. So the devil at this point certainly believes that Jesus is, as we would say, on an upward trajectory, headed for his throne. Whereas, as we know, praise God, he was on a downward trajectory, which would take him ultimately to the cross. Because that's where he found me and he found you. Now, he doesn't understand that. Praise God, though, that Jesus came all the way down. I love the uh, verse in that in that chorus. Love was when God became a man down where I could see love that reached to me. And that was a long reach. Okay, the other thing is, um, we call this the temptation of Jesus. Uh, And as I've said before, uh, well-meaning people think, uh, boy, it's a good thing, you know, Jesus made it, he didn't sin. He could have, but I'm so glad he didn't. Let's be clear about that. Jesus cannot sin, okay? The word for it in theology is impeccability. So that from the devil's point of view, he didn't know that. That's the other thing. Uh, Again, put yourself in uh, the devil's shoes if he wears them. Uh, this is, this is incredible. God, the creator of the universe, has become a man. You got that? That's incredible. And the devil doesn't know what he's dealing with. He's God, and yet he's man. Okay? And the men he's used to are in his hip pocket. Okay? Just give me a little time with that man or that woman. I'll get him to sin. I know where their weaknesses are. Okay? And so that's what he's about here. The interesting thing is that um, this was in God's will. Because it said the, the God, the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? Uh, but, so the devil was tempting him. But from God's point of view, it's a test And I don't mean for him to pass or fail, but to reveal what Jesus Christ is like through and through. Because sin has absolutely no appeal to him. Okay? Now, I've used an illustration here. And uh, particularly if you're from the South and you like okra, please don't get offended here. (laughs) But I'm sorry. I've tried and tried. I cannot... Stand okra. Thank you. Now, some of you may not know what okra is. It's like a squash. But when you cook it, usually, depends on how you cook it, it's, yes, that's the word. Slime. It's slime. And I tried and tried, and I just gag. Right now, I'm gagging at the thought of okra. 
Now, I know there are people that just love it. But for me, you, you can say, I'm going to rip Rick. I'm going to tempt you with okra. <laughs> and you could come in with a nice big steaming bowl of slimy okra. And you could put it right there and say, doesn't that smell good? You know, oh, and I'm sorry. I'd hold my nose. And you say, well, maybe if I bring in more. <laughs> you understand? You cannot tempt me with okra. You can try and try and try. I just, I cannot stand the thought of that stuff. Now, this is a weak illustration because I could change. Who knows? You know, I might develop a taste for okra. I'm 64 now and it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so it's very unlikely. But that's what I want to, you see, we need to understand that's the way the sin is to Jesus. It's not that he has to sit here and think, now let me see. No, that's probably wrong. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. There's a verse on that. I better not do that. You understand? That's not the heart of Jesus. He hates sin. What does it say in Hebrews? Uh, but under the sun, he says, thou hast loved righteousness and hated sin like okra for me. He just hates the thought of it. And the, and the more you suggest it to him, the more you talk about it, the more he hates it because of the way he is. You understand? It says in James about God that uh, he cannot, listen to that, cannot be tempted with sin. You know, he cannot, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. Well, who's Jesus? He's God. You say, well, he's God, man. No, wait a minute. As a person, he's one person. God, the son, he didn't change when he became a man. He hates sin just as much as he ever did and never will. And praise God later in that section, he says he does not change because he's God. OK, and we come with our puny little minds, you know, like the devil and say, well, you know, he's a man. Oh, therefore, he can sin, you know. No. Now, the devil didn't know that you can't blame the poor guy. He'd never dealt with something like this before. OK. So keep that in your thinking as we read through this. Okay. All right. Um, so it says that he was led by the spirit, spirit into the wilderness. So it was the will of God for this to happen. Like I said, it, it's like a test in the sense that it, sh it brings out the beauties of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. His utter uh, abhorrence of sin. I don't know if you notice this, by the way, it's very interesting. In verse 2, it said, being tempted for 40 days. Did you catch that? I think a lot of people think, you know, the, the devil's sitting around, you know, kind of biding his time until 40 days, and then he starts. He's been tempting Jesus for 40 days. You understand? Can you imagine? Not some demon. This is the devil himself working on you for 40 straight days when you're in a weakened condition. He's no dummy, by the way. You know, this he's, he's going, man, this is my time. You know, I know men and women. And when they get weak, when they get tired, you know, like when you get home from work and you're tired, do you get irritable? Ladies, you've had a long day. Isn't that when you're most irritable? I am. You know, when you're weak, when you're tired, you're hungry. Right. He knows that. And so he goes, you know, well, I know people are like that. And so now's my chance. 
I'm going to move in and start working. And we can't imagine. Can you imagine 40 days? 40 days of him working on him. No food. How long does it take you to go without food before you start thinking about it? Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, we could spend the hour just on this phrase. And it says uh, at the end of verse 2, he was hungry. Just think about that. You know who that's talking about? The one that created the ends of the earth? says he was hungry. Isn't that incredible? Our God, our creator, was hungry. Wow. And so the devil uh, begins uh, with his first temptation, or, or pardon me, the first temptation that's recorded. Okay, this is after 40 days of attempting. And it begins with this phrase, if you are the son of God, you can just hear him say it. By the way, He's not doubting Jesus' identity, okay? He knows who he is, all right? What he means is prove it. Because, you see, he doesn't understand. Jesus has lived 30 years in obscurity. What's going on? He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. You know, you think about it. If God's going to become a man, you think he'd go and be the son of a carpenter and live in, you know, poverty and and nobody knows who he is? Naturally, we would think, no, he'd come and live in an ivory palace. And so this doesn't make sense to the, and so he is always out to thwart God's purposes. And so since Jesus is not revealing who he is, well, then the devil's going to try to uh, undo that, try to make him do it, you see. Whatever Jesus doesn't do, the devil wants him to do it. Uh, we know certainly that he that he knew that this was the son of God. Um, it's you know, later. In fact, look here in chapter four, verse thirty four. Later, Jesus is going to cast out a demon. Verse thirty four. Listen to the demon speak. By the way, if you'd been there, you wouldn't hear the you hear the, the the man talk, the person. Okay, that's what happens when a demon possesses someone. He says, "Let us alone." What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting? Why does he do that? Because, first of all, isn't that great? We have a testimony of a lunatic here as to who Jesus is. You think that's a good recommendation? This guy going around saying, oh, I, that Jesus, he's the Holy One of God. But again, uh, he wants to bring he wants to bring it out because for some reason, Jesus uh, is not as open as one would expect him to be. Now, it's very clear from Scripture and the things that he says and does that he revealed who he is, the son of God. But he didn't come out and say, here I am, the son of God, come worship me. And the devil doesn't understand that. Later. Oh, by the way, it's very interesting. When you study the Bible, even little things like pronouns are very important. Did you notice here? He begins by saying, let us alone. Right? That's the demon speaking about himself and the man. But then, and he says, what have we to do with you? He says, I know who you are. That's the demon speaking, you see. He knows very well who this is. Later, Legion 
you know, the guy with a thousand demons says, and, and this is the de- this is the demons speaking through Legion. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So if you ever wondered, why do the demons do that? That's why they're doing it. Number one, it's a terrible testimony. Demons declaring, you know, in favor of Jesus. But secondly, they're, they're trying to bring him out. They're trying to, to force his hand, you know. What's going on here? Come on, out with it. By the way, does this taunt uh, sound familiar here? If you are the son of God. It is, isn't it? You know, the devil kept that in his back pocket and brought it out later at the cross. If you are the son of God, come down and save yourself. Except there, it's a taunt. In fact, you might say it's a victory song. Because the devil at that point thinks, I've won, man. Here he is. He's not on a crown. He's not on a throne wearing a crown. He's on a cross. He's dying. You know, and now uh, through the, the mockers, he's saying, if you're the son of God, come down. Let's see your power. Uh, and of course, the one that was meant to hurt most of all, you know, um, let him deliver him if he delights in him. Talking about the father questioning his love. If he is the son of God. It, it's it's amazing. You know, the Bible is so Consistent. This is not written by man, man. This is written by God. Okay. First of all, just simply, it's the only book in the world that says you can't get to heaven by being a good person. You can't do it. Okay. Find another one like that. They don't exist. Uh, and even uh, talking about Satan in the Old Testament, in the oldest writing, probably in the, in the Bible, the book of Job. Satan is this, described exactly the same way there in this uh, mocking, insolent uh, tone with God. Whenever he deals with God, remember, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And the devil says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. How much information is contained in that answer? Zero. God's asking him, what have you been up to? And the devil says, ah, oh, going here and there and doing this and that. Who's that? that sounds like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, teens. <laughs> the teens that come home late, you know, with the car at 3 a.m. Where you been? Oh, out. <laughs> what have you been doing? Oh, different things. Who have you been with? Yeah, friends. Right? That's the devil. Sounds just like him. And then the Lord points out Job. He says, you be considered and there's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man. What's the devil's response? Does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, the only reason he loves you is because all the stuff you give him. You know? Okay. By the way, uh, when I'm talking like this, don't, uh, don't picture the devil as some guy in a red union suit with a pointed tail and a pitchfork and horns, okay? Because even though we we're, we may sound a little uh, a little levity on this thing, he is the highest created being of God. Okay, his power is incredible. His beauty was unsurpassed. It says in the Old Testament describing him. 
Okay, well, it's interesting uh, on the uh, back to the temptation here on the stones to uh, bread temptation. Notice how he says it. He says, command these stones to become bread. Command. Notice that he knows Jesus can do it. Jesus could speak the word. You'd have bread right now. And obviously, by the way, he's appealing to what any other person would feel. Man, I'm hungry. You know, if it were you and me, we'd have to get up. This is in the wilderness. Okay, and we think wilderness, we think, you know, trees and bushes and stuff like that. In, uh, it, in Israel, the wilderness is down south and it's desert. Rocks and sand and scorpions. Okay, a little sprig here or there maybe. But it's, it's, it's dead, man. It's desolate. It's where the dead sea is. Okay, so if it were you or me, Man, I tell you, when that hunger got to us, we'd have to spend a couple of uh, days trekking back to civilization and going to the 7-Eleven. But Jesus, he could just speak the word, right? And the devil knows that. And, you know, there's a stone, turn it into bread. I'm good. Um, but the point is, is remember, like, remember the okra, Okay. As soon as the devil says that, man, oh, Jesus, goes, oh, get that out. No, I'm not interested in doing anything like that. Why? Number one, because it's the devil's idea. But more importantly, it's not his father's will. It's that simple. He knows his father doesn't want him to do that. And so to him, it's just it's repugnant. It's, it's repulsive. I don't want to think about doing something like that. My father wouldn't want me to do that. So now. Here's another thing here. So Jesus says, uh, it is written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And I remember when I was a, a new Christian and the first time I read this and somebody said, yeah, there you go. You ever want to resist temptation? Just quote a Bible verse. You know, kind of like a chant, you know, like a magical spell, you know, abracadabra. And you won't sin. Is that right? Huh? I wish it were that simple. So be careful here because uh, some of the people I remember were talking, that's, that's kind of the way they think, you know. After all, quote Psalm 119, one of my first uh, memory verses, and it's going to be in King James. But um, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, that's great. Praise God. But uh, simple minded people say, oh, see that? Just memorize a verse, pop it out and you won't sin. No. What does it say? Your word I've hidden in my heart. Not to bring out and quote sometime, but to become part of me so that I think and feel like that. Because that's why it works for Jesus. It wasn't quoting the verse that did it. It was his heart. So that when he said that verse from Deuteronomy, it was because that's what he felt. You understand? He really felt that way. I don't need food right now. Just communion with my father. Just his words enough for me. That's all I need. And so the word, the, the scripture was the expression of his heart. That's why the sin was like BBs off of a tank with him. Okay. And that's the, that's the way it is with us. It has to be internalize it, believe it, live it. And as it becomes a part of me, 
then, yeah, Scripture is a strong defense because it, it reflects the way I am. And of course, uh, the Scripture always expresses heart. Jesus is the living word. Isn't that wonderful? You know, every word he'd read is the way he is. He is the word of God, the expression of who God is. Okay, he is God. We're going to do a little experiment here. You know, we're talking about this idea that Jesus can't sin. And, uh, you know, some people, it's crazy, think that uh, if they try real hard, they, they won't sin either. I'm going to give you a little test. When I say go, I'm going to give you 10 seconds, and I don't want you to sin in the next 10 seconds. Ready, set, go. Okay, let's see how you did. Now, where will we begin here? I know. Let's begin with what Jesus called the first and greatest commandment. For that 10 seconds, did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? Were you even thinking about God and all your strength, every fiber of your being? Were you loving him during that time that way with your entire being? Uh Uh-oh, I see some head shaking. I wasn't. I wish I was. You sinned. Okay, (laughs) we all failed. We sin all the time. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus keeps that commandment all the time, 24 hours a day. And he doesn't have to think about it. It's the way he is. Okay. That's why sin has no appeal to him at all. By the way, uh, how many people have memorized the book of Deuteronomy? <laughs> Nobody? Wow. You realize all three verses Jesus quoted are from that book? The law, you know? Literally Deuteronomy, the second law. Amazing. If you read it, you wouldn't be that surprised. You know Why? There's an old hit back in the 60s. I wonder who wrote the book of love. Deuteronomy is the book of love. Do you know that? A lot of people don't realize that. It's all over the place. Uh, It's the book that Moses wrote that talks about the love of God for his people and the love that he desires that they would have for him. That's incredible. In fact, if you look at the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and look for verses on that love between God and his people, in Genesis, there are zero verses on that subject. In Exodus, there's one verse. In Leviticus, zero. Numbers, zero. In Deuteronomy, there are 15. 15 verses. More than half of them are the command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Isn't that interesting? You know, we think about, oh, yeah, that's the law. You've got to do this, and you can't do that, and all that stuff. But under it all, God is interested in the love 
that the, his people would have for him. At one point, it's, it's a beautiful verse. He says, oh, that they would have such a heart to fear me. He, he's longing for that relationship with his people and that they would respond to him the way he does to them. No wonder those are the verses that Jesus quoted, you see, from the book of love, describing his heart that beat only for his father. Check it out. Deuteronomy, the book of love. Jesus says, uh, and, and when he's quoting the verse, he means this. You, you don't live by uh, bread alone. He, he means, but you live. One should live by every word. In, in the other one, it says, by, that, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By every word of God. Every word. Count each one precious. That's the way he thinks about it. Do you? Not just the Bible, every word of God. How precious. I love this book. Do you love this book? Oh, man. Read it. Study it. Pray it, by the way. You ever pray it? All kind of places where you can just pray it back to God and mean it. Obey it. Live it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Live by every word of God. Okay, the second temptation, verses 5 through 8, is the uh, offer of um, all of the kingdoms of the world. And it's interesting. This is the most intriguing temptation to me. Remember, he's gone 40 days of tempting Jesus. So he's at the end now. Okay? I think he tried all the standard stuff long ago. You know? So we, we, we're seeing him running out of gas here at the end. He's really getting desperate. None of this other stuff worked. So he's, he's pulling out all the stops. And look, this is very interesting. Look how he does it. <clears throat> to begin with, verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain. Look, they didn't walk up there with their backpacks. The devil took him up to a high mountain. Just like later he's going to take him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Okay? That's interesting. I think part of that is Jesus didn't uh, do his uh, command, you know, turn the stones into bread. And so I think the devil, it, it's kind of like, um, well, you didn't do it, but I can do it. You know, he shows his power by taking the Lord Jesus up on a high mountain just like that. You know, and then it says it shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How did he do that? I don't know. It would have been awesome to, to experience this, you know. By the way, he personally took Jesus up. This is, this is very important. Let me say this too. That, um, the devil, the devil didn't need to disguise himself with Jesus. Jesus knows who he is and he knows that. Okay. And he, he doesn't do that with us. He doesn't come out in the open. You know, he stays behind the scenes. And now let me say about that. Be careful. You know, the person that says, well, the devil made me do it. I would venture to say that you personally have not had an encounter with the devil himself. You might have. I certainly not everybody in this room. Let me make something clear. First of all, he's not God. He's not everywhere at once. Remember that. Okay? He's a finite being just like you. He's somewhere right now. I don't know where. I doubt if he's here. 
he focuses on where he can be most effective. Okay? He's the leader of the hierarchy of demons. No doubt there are one or more demons present observing this meeting. Meetings of the body of Christ are very uh, important to uh, the fallen angels. Okay? And I would imagine there's one or more in attendance. But I doubt if it's the devil himself. It's the devil because this is uh, the son of God personally. And so the devil is in personal attendance here. And so he takes him up by his power to a high mountain. We don't know where it is. Shows him the kingdoms of the world in an instant. And he says, uh, this has been delivered to me, talking about the kingdoms, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, he's not lying. Well, I should qualify that. What I mean is, that's a legitimate offer. Okay. As Jesus later says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, the ruler of this world is cast out. The devil's the ruler of this world. Now, over him, of course, is God who is sovereign. But right now, this is the devil's territory, okay? That's why God says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. They're not from God. They're meant to make people happy without God. So, in in one sense, it's a legitimate offer. Now, I said he wasn't lying. What I mean is, I don't know, did he really mean that he would do that if Jesus worshipped him, that he would give him that authority? I don't know. He's, he's a liar, you know? He, he could have gotten what he wanted and said, well, sorry, I changed my mind. Well, I don't know. But the point is, uh, he's not whistling Dixie here. He is the ruler of this world. What's interesting to me is, you know, elsewhere... Uh, Jesus talking about the guy that had the barns and they were too small and he tore them down and built bigger ones and filled them with grain and uh, kicked back and said, oh, now I can take my ease, you know. And God comes and says, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And uh, Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What, what is interesting about that is how many people gain the whole world? How many, how many people have ever gained the whole world? Zero. Devil's never had to go that far. He's going that far with Jesus. He's offering him everything. He's desperate. But you know, when you think about what the devil, devil has to kick over for most people to be happy without God, man, it's a tiny little Bobble, isn't it? You know, he knows that. I don't have to give him a lot. Just a little plaything, little tiny thing. And that's good enough for him. They're happy with that little thing, man. I don't need God. I got this. This thing that the devil gave me. Just a little tiny fragment of the world. I didn't need the whole world. I just want a little tiny piece. You know? So for those people... What shall a profit a man if he gains a tiny little piece of the world and loses his own soul? Where's the profit in that? Where are you? Are you concerned about your soul? Or are you happy with that little little bauble, that little trinket that the devil has offered you and you took and you said, man, that's great. That's all I need. 
the whole world. Well, as we said in our introduction, the bottom line is the devil, he did not understand who he's dealing with here. Okay, He can go ahead and take him to the top of a mountain and show him all the kingdoms in an instant. Immediately, it's like okra to him. man. Oh, I, no, sorry, not interested. You know, he doesn't have to think about it. It's repulsive to him. It's vile. It's unthinkable. Because the devil, you see, he's thinking Jesus is on his way up. Well, let's let's save him the trouble. I'll give him the kingdoms right now because he knows he's going to get them eventually. He knows he knows the Bible. You think the devil's you think the devil's a student of the Bible? Did you know the devil knows the Bible a lot better than you do? Huh? (laughs) He doesn't sleep. And this is where God has spoken and said what he's going to do and what he is doing. You don't think the devil knows this book, man? He knows every verse in it. We're going to find out in a minute when he quotes it. And so he's convinced Jesus is going up. Well, he's going to have the kingdoms. I'll give them to him now. But in the in the process, I'll get worship out of him. Isn't that sick? Isn't that sad? You worship me. <laughs> it's in keeping with his uh, fall described in Isaiah 14, though. You know, it's what he wants. That's what he's going to get, by the way, in the end times. We were talking about it. So we're brothers the other day. You know, that's where we're going because the Bible says so. The devil is going to be worshipped. Can you imagine that? Willfully, voluntarily by the world. The world is waiting right now, man, for someone to bring the whole world together, solve all the world problems. He's coming, called the Antichrist, and he is literally the devil, not incarnate because he can't do that, but empowered by the devil. He's going to do stuff like you ain't never seen. Are you ready for that? I'm not because I'm not going to be here. Well, Jesus, like I said, as soon as he says this, you know, oh, immediately he has he's he hates the idea. He hates sin. Yeah. okay. he didn't have to think about it. But uh, the last word is I just quoted the other day. I love this verse. We sing it uh, around Christmas time should sing it all the time when they rejoice in heaven. You know, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign. How long? Amen. Forever and ever. Now, God said that. So you know what? It's going to happen. But right now, you see, uh, Jesus is not headed for the kingdom right now at this point. He's headed another direction to the cross. Because that's where I am down at the very bottom in the pit, headed for hell, lost in my sin, going down for the third time, okay? And out of his love, he's going that way. And so this idea of getting the kingdom, I'm sorry, no, mm -mm, not going there. I'm headed for the cross. He became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. That's a big word, even, even the death of a cross. And it's not just talking about the physical torment. It's talking about his sin bearing and answering to a righteous, holy God for my sin. Even the death of a cross. But it didn't stop there. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. 
He's going to get the glory because God's going to give it to him. That's the way it's going to come. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew the the crown was coming. He knew we'd be in heaven. That's part of the joy. And so he endured the cross in light of what was going to come from it. What a rebuke to me and to you. You know, we're often pleasure seeking. I want it now. Praise God, Jesus wasn't like that. Okay, well, again, this had no appeal. In fact, this this particular temptation seemed particularly hateful, and I can understand why. You know, fall down and worship me. Oh, man. And so Jesus adds some words. He says, get behind me, Satan. You know, get out of my way. I have nothing to do with what you're talking about here. You know, my mission is going to the cross. Now, he doesn't say that to him, but uh, that's what's in his mind. By the way, there's some more familiar words uh, that uh, we're going to see later in the Bible, right? Get behind me, Satan. Do you know he says that later? We'll talk about it in a minute. Okay, the last temptation, verses 9 to 13, is uh, jumping off the, uh, the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, it, to me, it's a very interesting temptation. It's similar, by the way, to the temptation to turn the stones into bread. Because, uh, first of all, the devil begins the same way. He says, if you are the son of God, you know, throw yourself down. Again, part of that is, you know, announce yourself. Come on, come out. Let everybody see it. You know, as everybody's looking up and this guy's coming down and he just kind of floats safely down and announces himself. Here I am, the son of God. That's the idea. And uh, as I said, the kicker is he quotes the Bible to support it. Here's a promise we can claim. Did you know that? Huh? It's a promise from God. It says he's going to send his angels to catch you so that you don't even dash your foot against his own. My daughter says, I wish I'd known that last Friday. (laughs) Yeah. Running down the sidewalk and tripped. And uh, not only did she dash her foot, she dashed her chin against the stone. He said, but the devil's misquoting it. If he's going to quote the Bible, I'll promise you, he's misquoting it. That's not what God means by that. That we can go around jumping off pinnacles. Wow. Uh, What's interesting to me is, now, you know, some of these we can't relate to. By the way, the reason some of these are never going to apply to you, when's the last time you were tempted to rule the world? When's the last time you were tempted to turn a stone into bread? Huh? When's the last time you were tempted to jump off the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem? You see, the devil tailors his temptations for the individual. You've got your weaknesses. I've got mine. And he's, de- he's dealing now with God the Son. Okay? So we're talking about a whole other order of, of temptation here. All right? So when you say, man, that's weird. I mean, I wouldn't be tempted to do that. Well, yeah, you're not the Son of God. And Jesus wasn't tempted either, by the way. As I said, the the thought of it was just repulsive to him. Again, because uh, it would be in disobedience to his father. But what's interesting to me is that uh, I think he's probing the area of the suffering Messiah. What I mean by that is 
uh, he's telling Jesus, he says, God is going to rescue you from coming to harm if you endanger yourself. And I think he's just as mystified as anybody else. What is this suffering Messiah stuff in the Old Testament? How does that fit in? You know, and so I think he's kind of probing in that area. Jump down and let's see what happens. You know, your God will save you so you're not hurt. I don't know that, but it's going to, you'll see, it's interesting, the, the psalm that he quotes. How many have memorized Psalm 91? Very good. It's a great psalm. It's a messianic psalm, by the way. It's about Jesus. And so it's interesting to me that that's the one the devil quotes. Uh, psalm 91, when, when we'll turn there, I'm going to quote it at length a little bit later, but... Um, it, it says exactly what the devil says here. He leaves out a little phrase, but it's really not, not, not that critical. But um, when he quotes the verse, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. It's interesting that he stopped there. Because you know what the next verse says in that psalm? You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. I see some grins. Isn't that interesting? It's a, and it's a psalm about the Messiah. You shall trample the serpent underfoot. What does that sound like? Genesis 3, right? Almost verbatim. That's one of the keys that it's a messianic psalm. Now, the devil didn't quote that, that part of it. Of course, it doesn't apply, but what's interesting is it's the very next verse. The other interesting thing is the two creatures spoken about being defeated there are a lion and a serpent. What two animals are the devil compared to in the Bible? He goes about like a roaring what? Yeah, and he's a serpent. Isn't that interesting? And he doesn't, he doesn't include that. You know, in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman that's the Messiah, will crush the serpent's head, but he will bruise him on the heel. Talking about the cross, where the devil is finally once and for all defeated by the Lord Jesus and is bruised in the act on the cross. It's a picture of, of Jesus' victory over the devil. Okay, well, I don't know if, if, if he was probing for uh, Jesus' Uh, response on this, even if Jesus had verbally commented on it, like something like, um, well, you know, uh, I didn't come to be spared from suffering. I am going to suffer. I don't know. I don't know why he, he chose this. It sounds awfully strange, but there's more to it. I'm going to tell you in, in just a moment here. Whatever the devil's reasons, Jesus' response was swift and from the heart. And again, it was repulsive to him because Number one, it's the devil's idea. Number two, more importantly, it's not his father's will. And that, that's all that matters to him. So I love this, the way it's described. It says he departed from him until an opportune time. Is that interesting? Watching, watching. I said, you know, I, I doubt if we've ever had a personal encounter with the devil himself. At this time in history, man, I'll tell you, he spent a lot of time around Jesus watching, studying, 
listening, looking. And I believe, because it appears that way uh, three years later toward the end of his ministry, I think he finally just gave up on Jesus. He realized that there's nothing in him that he can get to. In fact, Jesus said that, didn't he? On the, on the night of his betrayal, he said, the prince of this world is coming, and he what? He has nothing in me. It's too late now to find that out, isn't it? You know, if you only knew that at the outset, he could have saved his energy. Notice Jesus didn't say, Tom's not here or any of the other policemen, but uh, he didn't say he has nothing on me. You understand? If it were on, what that means is uh, I haven't done any sins that he can bring, to, you know, like they do with politicians, you know, where they go and dig in their past and find something they've done. He doesn't say that. He says he has nothing in me. There's nothing in me that even remotely appeals to sin. In fact, I hate sin. And so I think the devil gave up on him uh, well before the betrayal. And we know what he did was he turned to someone he could use to bring him down. And where would that be? Well, among the disciples. Makes sense, right? What's interesting is, uh, of course, we know about Judas, but um, Peter, you know, the up and down disciple. When Jesus talked about uh, his uh, upcoming crucifixion, what did Peter say? Lord, this will never happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Exactly what he said here in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> Satan was there, you see. Thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of the world. Self-preservation. And that's not what I'm about. I'm here to sacrifice myself for the sins of the world, including yours, Peter. You know? Later, we get a little insight into heaven. Because Jesus tells Peter, he says, you know, Peter... Satan has asked for you. Whoa, dude. You hear that? Just like, kind of like Job, where Job is in a personal discussion between God and the devil. Remember that? And Satan said, just give him to me. I'll work on him a little while. We'll see how much he loves you. It, Jesus tells us the devil had asked for Peter to do what? Now, I don't know what this verse means, but it doesn't sound good. It says, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. Whoa. Whatever it is, it's not good. Okay? And now Jesus doesn't say, but uh, don't worry, we told him no. You know what Jesus says? He says, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that good? I have prayed for you. And when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Not And if you recover from it, no, when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. Oh, man. Talk about encouragement, huh? But uh, the devil, I don't know how much involved, but it sure looks like he saw Peter, you know, in this. He's at one moment, he's up at the top and then at the next bottom. Next, he's at the bottom of the valley. And maybe he saw in that up and down, you know, maybe I could use that guy. But he didn't. He ended up because either he or his subsidiary demons knew that uh, Judas, probably from conversation, you know, but also from stealing from the money box and other things that, uh, oh, here, here we go. There's my man. 
Judas. You know, he, he's he's um, the stars have gone out of his eyes. You know, he's lost interest in this stuff. And so, by the way, when Jesus said that at the Last Supper, the prince of this world is coming. You know who's coming? Judas with the soldiers. But he says the devil's coming. Is that interesting? And then what does it say later? Um, the devil having put it into his heart to betray the Lord. He has control of him now, you see. By the way, the devil can't make you do something against your will. You have to cooperate. Okay? Demon possession isn't like demons going around grabbing hold of people uh, when, when they're not even participating in a cult or anything. They're just walking down the street. It's because you're doing something with the occult or seeking something out there and opening yourself up. Drugs can help, you know, that that happens. It's not against your will. And so he found his man in uh, Judas. What's interesting is that um, the devil all during this time, you know, as he sees the soldiers come and he gets arrested and then he gets crucified, he's dancing a jig, you know. All right, I won. <laughs> he's playing right into God's hands. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that wonderful? God knew this all along. He used it. Uh, not to put Jesus on the throne immediately, but more importantly, to put us into heaven. That's incredible. I, there's nobody like God, man, I'll tell you. That's great. And so the devil's dancing a jig and celebrating with us. If you are the son of God, you know, he's losing. Okay, well, we'll end with this. I said that um, that song was interesting for more reasons uh, than one. Psalm 91. It's a messianic psalm. I'm just going to read you the last uh, three verses of it. Before I do that, I, I want to uh, quote the devil's fall and show you why uh, he failed here. The bottom line is the devil does not understand the love of God. He doesn't understand how far God is willing to go to save people like you and me. He never dreamed in a million years that this one, God the Son, was going to go and be nailed to a cross. And there, God the Father was going to lay all the sins of the world on him. He was going to pay for all that sin so that we could be forgiven and be with him forever in heaven. Oh, man. Isn't that glorious? He never thought it. <laughs> that was so far from his mind. You know why? Here, here's his thinking. Isaiah 14. And I want you to notice the I wills. In this, many of you heard this before, but it's the words of Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Can you imagine that? I will be like God. The reason that is so remarkable is because if you finish Psalm 91, there were five I wills in that Isaiah 14 passage. 
in the remainder of Psalm 91, there are six I wills. And whereas the other I wills are about the devil exalting himself, the six I wills in Psalm 91 are about the father exalting the son because of what he's done. Listen to Psalm 91 now. We'll pick up with the familiar part. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Sound familiar? Read on. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. That's the cross where he's victorious. Okay? Now he's going to talk about the resurrection and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Because he has set his love upon me, Jesus, you understand? Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. He's talking about the cross and the grave. You understand? And the resurrection. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him. Eternal ruling. You understand? And show him my salvation. Literally deliverance. Isn't that great? Six promises of God to exalt the son because of what he's done. Okay, well, before going to that highest place, which is where he belongs, by the way, he detoured by way of the lowest place, the death of the cross, where he paid the price for all of my sins and all of yours. Praise his name. If he'd stopped short anywhere, you and I would be lost forever. When I think about that, you know, I love that. I told you that chorus, you know, love was when God became a man down where I could see love that reached to me. Uh, you think about scenes like in movies where somebody's, you know, I don't know, perishing somehow, falling off a cliff or drowning or, you know, and they got their hand outstretched and the, and the person who's going to get them, their hands are like this far apart, right? You know, and they're both, they got to make contact. If they can just reach the other person, you know, and, and, and pull them from the, the trouble they're in, right? And you're watching, you know, and the hands get closer and closer. Sometimes, you know, ah, you know, but sometimes finally they reach, right? And they pull the person out. That was me. I was like this, Lord, help me. Okay? Except I couldn't get any closer. And if he hadn't, I'd be lost forever. Man, he stuck out his hand way up there. And he kept coming closer and closer and closer and down and down and down until finally he came to the cross and took my sin on him and paid it in full. And he reached out his hand. He reached out his other hand for you. Have you taken that hand? Have you been saved by Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful Savior you are. What a great God you are. 
We thank you for your word. We just thank you for who you are and what you're like. And Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here to whom you still have that outstretched hand, that they would finally quit trying and just reach out and take it and be saved. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.